that won't create any awkward situations at all. See how far from the topic we can actually get today. Saying no is one of the basic rules of improv. You never ever do it. It's <laughs> both beautiful and terrifying. I'm actually getting cold sweats right now. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TCAPS Loop Podcast. My name is Larry Burden and rightly skeptical of my devious nature. It's Danielle Brostrom and Steffi Light. Also joining us is Mr. President Dave Johnson, the Michigan Council of Social Studies Chief of State. Before cutting into this week's meet of the show, we shall partake in a pumpkin-spiced moment of zen. Too often, we enjoy the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. Little love from John F. Kennedy. You may have heard of him. So we're, we've turned to, to uh, uh, Mr. Johnson to help clear our, our minds and help us uh, think a little bit more critically about uh, some of the information that we are taking in online and in our, our somewhat crazy modern society. So I guess to start us out, um, maybe a little history lesson, Dave. How did we get here? I don't know if I can compete with that moment of Zen like that. I, I'm still back there. That's that's pretty cool. I, I think it's important to remember that here isn't exactly a destination as much as, as it is a natural evolution of things over time. There's always been misinformation. This isn't a new phenomenon by any sense of the word. Uh, there, there's always been a call to people to learn how to spot it. So there's always been lessons in classrooms about it. But I, I think the here you're referring to is 2020 and how prolific all of this has really become, uh, because it really does seem like we're encountering more of it than we've ever really seen before. And I, I'm not entirely certain that that's true, but what is true is how amplified it is in comparison to, you know, e even 20 years ago. I, I actually checked back into my archives to see when I first did some of my first presentations on this. Um, and, and I've got one that sort of introduces the concept around the time the C3 framework draft started pouring in. But as far as when I shopped it around as part of an all-day block of social studies training, it, it looks like the fall of 2014. And I was happy to see that date on it because I was deathly afraid of preparing for today that all the lessons I had on it uh, didn't start creeping up until 2016 alongside the last presidential election. Because that's really when widespread misinformation sort of came into its own and and entered the American vernacular in modern times. I mean, in medieval times, if you got bad news or fake news, what'd you do about it? You could flog the town crier, right? Or put him in braces. Uh, it, but then you, you flash forward 100 years later to the rise of uh, yellow journalism. Those are newspapers that present little or no legitimate news or research news. Uh, they're tagged with super misleading headlines designed to sell papers, and that's still around. I mean, every time I go to the grocery store, there's a stack of national inquirers staring at me at the, the, the checkout counter and, and that's still around today. So I think maybe in the last 25, 30 years where we've really gone mad uh, it is both social media and that whole 24 hour news cycle. And with cable, you've got 24 seven news channels that launched. They've got programming slots to fill, right? So not only do we have unintentional misinformation as everyone tries to scoop everyone else, but as we've moved closer to today, social media, the growth of the internet, it all leads to, to gray areas. You can claim to be news, but disclaim on your website that you're for infotainment purposes. 
Uh, does that let you off the hook from some of the journalistic rules we expect of reporters at legitimate outlets? Uh, and on the side of legitimacy, let's say you work for the New York Times or the Chicago Tribune. You get a scoop. Uh, that article gets written. It hits the website. Everybody's phones start buzzing as the story gets pushed to them. But did you really have time to get all the facts? And then there's social media. Don't even get me started on social media. I'll, I'll go there in a minute as we keep talking. But I was just saying, we're going to get you started on social media. So yeah, for sure, that is definitely something that we're going to be talking about. <laughs> That's kind of how we got there. As you said, we've been there for a while. And, and you've also touched on kind of the concerning trends. And I think some of those concerning trends are the fact that it is rising. But I thought one of the core problems is there's just so much more time and attention to fill. Whereas in the past, when we were talking about specifically news, you had an hour, two hours from six to eight for a news channel to fill their slot. There's enough news, maybe not, you know, to some extent, to fill that area. Well, now we've got how many networks, how many news feeds to fill 24 hours a day. You need to fill it with something. Well, there really isn't enough news to fill that, or at least interesting, you know, quote unquote, interesting news to fill that slot. So what do you have to fill it with? You have to fill it with opinion. And I think that's maybe where we start to get into some some issues where the opinion and the editorializing isn't necessarily journalism. Starting with that, how do we tell when something is an opinion piece or based upon opinion versus journalism? What are some of the things that we can look out for, look to spot? Well, I think almost any time you have that crosstalk where they've got you know four or five people in the, the bars on the, the channel and they're all talking back and forth about a news story, it, it may have started as news, but then you're, you're moving into that social commentary. Here's what I think about it. Here's what I think about it. And, you know, CNN always has their token conservative on that panel and Fox News always has their token liberal on that panel. But at the end of the day, those panel pieces that a lot of people point to as this is, you know, this is coming from a legitimate news outlet. Um, it is is detrimental to keeping the, the the conversation focused on the story at hand. I'd much rather have some puff pieces on cute puppies uh, in baskets than I would, um, you know, let's cut over to our panel for an expert discussion on this right now, because uh, the cute puppies will win the day every day. The panel is is opinion. So, Steffi and, and Daniel, what have you guys noticed? Well, I think it's interesting, Dave, when you mentioned the tabloids in the supermarket, because wouldn't it be nice if it was so easy to spot? Like, everybody knows, like, the National Enquirer, right? Like, that's going to be crazy, fake information. But that's what's changed, is it's so much harder to be able to sort through what is legitimate and what isn't. And a website can look just as legitimate from one to another, one's totally not based in any reality or fact, and one is is totally vetted. Um, the awareness piece, I think, is huge. Just the discussion that this exists and be aware of and how to try to grab some collaborating information that tells you that you're getting sources from a legitimate place. Like, can you verify this somewhere else? It would be, wouldn't it be nice if it was as obvious as, as it's been at other points? It has gotten so much harder. I think about all of the news sites that have popped up that are very similar to legitimate ones. Like they'll throw in the name of the town and then they'll say it's a gazette and then they're pumping out the news and people 
aren't completely understanding or what did I see last night of michigangraphs.com and everyone sharing graphs. And this is what like, I, I don't, sometimes I get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed with, with it coming at me. And I feel like I am pretty good at filtering it through. So I think about, on both ends of the spectrum. I think about my children and how they're going to learn to recognize what's real and what's not. And then I think about my parents who are elderly and how do they sift through the information. And it's, it's quite overwhelming. This morning I was on the, uh, what was it? The University of West Florida web, uh, University's Libraries website. And uh, they had some fun things um, as far as fact checking and tips. And they uh, recommended going through what they called the crap test. <laughs> <laughs> and it's C-R-A-A-P. And it's a uh, check for currency. You know, when, when you're going through those news articles, especially the news feed on your social media, how current is the article that's being referenced? Relevance. Is this something that is actually relevant to the purpose of your research? Authority is the source that you're getting the information from and authority on that topic. I'm doing that little extra bit of research. Accuracy is the information supported with evidence. It seems obvious, but we're actually kind of diving into the piece now because you're actually having to look at it and then actually look at another source to see if it's actually truly there. And the next thing is the purpose. Once you've actually recognized the accuracy of it and have dove into it, what is the purpose of the piece? You know, why are they actually putting it out there? I thought that was a nice way to filter the information to make sure that it is worthwhile to the purpose of your research. We've talked about this before, but looking at a news article or a news story of some sort from the perspectives of, like Dave was mentioning, different uh, sources that have different bends to their perspective. So like if you look on allsides.com and look at an event or or a news story and how is X news source covering it and where are they on the spectrum of their perspective, um, for kids to be aware and adults that there are, I mean, there are some that everybody is probably familiar with, but you can look on all sides and it will give you a spectrum of where lots of news outlets fall. And you can compare then how it's being covered from one outlet to another. So here's the question, and I don't have the answer to this. How do you get the general population to care about that? Because 95% of people aren't going to go to both sides. They're going to read the article. They're going to say, this agrees with my value stream and they're going to share it. And then it gets proliferated as news. So how do you I don't, I don't have an answer, Dave. <laughs> You're supposed to come with all the answers. I'm just if saying. I had an answer, I would have driven to my office today in a much nicer car. But uh, <laughs> we're constantly bombarded with information. And I think everyone's looking for that confirmation bias. Uh, I believe this way. Here's a bunch of, uh, you know, news. Here's a bunch of news sources, whether real or fake, that tend to support my worldview. And I'm just going to go there because it doesn't challenge my thinking. Um, and so the hard part is, and it's, it's something I still struggle with, every time my Apple News alerts go off, um, you know, I, if it's an article that I want to read, if it's from CNN, then I read it and then I go to Fox News and I try to see how they, uh, how they present it. Same deal if it's the Fox News article, you know, if the headline grabs me and I read it. I try to go over to, uh, you know, CNN then and see how they portray it because 
to say that a network is without bias, you're not going to find one. Uh, you've got that beautiful chart that has where they rank on the spectrum, and you've got some that are closer to center, but there's no, we're humans. We all have our biases. There's no, there's no way you're going to separate that. Even with journalistic integrity, it still creeps in. So, you know, I, I try to limit myself to the places that are closer to the middle of that spectrum, but at the very least, trying to see where both sides are presenting it because the truth is usually dead set in the center. As far as how we get people there, I have no idea. We should talk after this. You know, maybe we could be the next multimillionaires with our programming or something. But <laughs> well, and I think that is the tough. Danielle, you brought it up, and, and Dave, you certainly alluded to it. It's not just the fact that there is. It's not like you said, not even misinformation. It's it's just bias, even if it's slight. It's recognizing how that bias gets to you and is presented to you that I think we really need to maybe investigate a little bit more as a, as a society in the fact that we're not necessarily making that choice as to what we're being presented with. You know, there's aggregators and algorithms that are actually presenting it to us. So every time you click on an argument or on an argument or an article, that aggregator is then going, okay, this is what you want and it's going to feed you more. It, it will naturally create an environment that's specific to what is more likely to get you to continue to click on it, which also creates a, a bias in your feed. And so suddenly you don't see the other side unless you're actively seeking it out. So being aware that every click you make creates a bias in what you're seeing without even necessarily consciously looking for it. I think the more that we can have people be aware of that and trying to fight the bubble, you know, getting yourself out of the bubble that the algorithm wants you to see. I think people hear that and they they know that this bubble exists, but to like really understand that we're being manipulated by those algorithms in a lot of ways. The social dilemma discussion we had from the other day, things like that, that share, okay, this is how this is really happening and these are the implications. Again, I don't know how we make people necessarily care, but the more we talk about it and the more, I mean, I think some of that is, is pretty shocking, really. Those algorithms are crazy. I uh, I abandoned my Facebook page in July. Like I, I just walked away from it, and I have not been back since. Because uh, Facebook was becoming this crazy place. It just put me in my dark place as soon as I logged on. Mm -hmm. um, and I transitioned over to Twitter, <laughs> right? Six of one, half dozen of another. Um, I, I had never really been as active there. And I think one of the reasons I found Twitter safer is I had developed this wonderful echo chamber. Um, and I, I didn't really have to know what my wife's crazy cousins were saying about people who believe what I believe politically, because I don't follow them on Twitter and they don't use it to begin with. Uh, but those algorithms were the other reason I, I sort of abandoned it. Like I just kept seeing more and more crazy stuff. Granted, it was crazy stuff in the line of uh, my beliefs. You know, if I go back to those that those confirmation that confirmation bias piece, but. I was getting more and more of it spun my way as Facebook learned more and more about me. And I, I, I just needed to escape it. So I, I, I left. I don't regret the decision. I don't know when I'll be back. I've been much happier. You know, the skies are bluer. <laughs> I'm currently reading that 10 Reasons for Deleting All of Your Social Media Accounts book by Jared Lernier, I think it is. Pretty much what you're saying. Oh, but I love interacting with you on Twitter, Danielle. So <laughs> I'm not leaving Twitter. Keep that, keep that one. <laughs> so, and I, th I think that's the tough 
we've, I don't know if champion's the right word, but we've supported the use of social media in a professional context or in making connections, you know, in a professional or purposeful way. It is a really fine line um, because to be honest, the social media platforms don't necessarily just want you to use it in that way. You know, again, they're, they're trying to, and I don't even think this is necessarily malicious. It's just part of, you know, that, that economy that we've created that attention economy. They want to get you coming back. So even though you might have um, altruistic motives as far as how you're setting up your social media identity, it's really trying to push you to engage deeper, or I don't know if deeper is the right word, probably not, <laughs> um, more frequently. Uh, and I think you do have to be really mindful of, okay, this is how, this is the purpose, this is my purpose for using the platform, because it is a really cool tool for, con- for creating connection. But that is my tool. That is my purpose, and I'm not going to let it drag me in further because it is. It's. We thought YouTube was a rabbit hole. <laughs> we want to use the tools without letting the tools use us, which is what they want to do. And it's this constant battle to wrestle back that balance. I mean, it really is. It feels like you could get sucked in so easily, and you just have to keep that big picture and be aware of what that technology is working really hard to do and designed by really smart people who want it to be the thing you check all the time. They have a, a watch out for red flags. And these, these are just some quick bullet points, but I'm, I'm curious if you guys kind of would agree with them. And uh, we had um, our network administrator on last week, and he actually pointed out some of these as well. And just some red flags when you're looking at content, things to look out for. Does the link end with a .co instead of a .com? Or if you're looking at the link, and he had brought up uh, tcaps.net, that's our district's website. If it's tcaps, you know, with an extra s, you know, small things in the in the domain that maybe look like or cnnnn, you know, .com, you know, one of those things where it's like it's close to the the domain, but it's not actually the domain. There's a lot of them out there that would give you misleading information, and especially on social media, because you're not necessarily looking that deeply because you didn't go directly to the site to find it. Small disclaimers on the article that say something like satire or opinion, you know, recognizing the difference between a news article and an opinion piece and, you know, finding that early. When you click on a story in social media, is that story outdated? Is it being circulated right now? You know, what, what, what is it referencing? When is it referencing it? And you're going to like this one, Dave, because you already mentioned it. Is it posted by so-and-so? You know, we all have that friend on social media. You know, recognize the source not only of the news, but the source on social media that you're getting the article. So, Dave, I do want to turn this a little more hopeful. What kinds of things have been put into the social studies curriculum? Like, how are we trying to change the story for kids who don't understand how to look at this? What is the... Um, social studies people. What are you guys doing? Well, I'll dive into the social studies curriculum here, but I also want to put a plug in for uh, a book that you guys might uh, find a bit interesting. It's called The Future of Feeling, Building Empathy in a Tech-Obsessed Culture. Um, I actually got it as a Kindle read Uh, pre-pandemic. As a Kindle owner, you get a free book each month from their little selection. And I just kind of picked it up on a whim. Um, And it's all about how we build... um, 
how we build empathy. So I, we weren't talking social emotional learning today, but uh, it, it's a really good fit for, I think, our current reality. Um, and I, I've sort of become friends with the author on Twitter, but I, I, I would have uh, plugged that book regardless um, because it, it was a good one. But as far as social studies, this is naturally ours in a way that it isn't sciences. Uh, it's not maths. Um, believe it or not, there isn't anything about this in our content expectations, not even when we rewrote them. But where you will find it is in utilization of the C3 framework alongside the content outlined in your standards. Uh, I think about dimension two uh, in the history subcategory, you start getting into this analysis of how people's beliefs change over time, how their perspectives influence the sources they created. And, and these are great skills to practice when studying history. Uh, you know, so you're reading the Declaration of Independence with your students. That's fantastic. You know who wrote it? Yep, Thomas Jefferson. Okay. He had a lot of input for some other figures like Madison. Why did he and they word it the way that they did? Why didn't they just send a big giant, it's over, it's not me, it's you letter and call it good? Uh, they were thinking about an audience beyond King George. Uh, if you move out of the history strand of Dimension 2 with the C3 framework, you've got Dimension 3, which is an entire dimension dedicated to just four skills at every grade band dedicated to gathering evidence, evaluating the sources that you're pulling that evidence from, using those sources you've evaluated then to develop a claim that's backed up by sound evidence. I mean, it looks different in K2 than it does in 912, but it's a cyclical set of skills. And at its heart, it's there. We want to teach kids what a relevant source is, how you can tell what a relevant source is, what to do if you come across one that maybe doesn't pass the crap test that Larry was talking about earlier. You know, these are, are super important skills. And I recommend that teachers in all the content areas, not just social studies, look at pages 54 and 55 of the framework to see what they can do to support that in their grade band. Um, Dave, I think it's really important that you mentioned um, even K2, because I, I think some of the skills get, it, it needs to start that early, really. It's too late to wait if we're in middle school, high school, and talking about evaluating sources, like our littles need to be looking at that as well. And it's super simple. You know what the, the C3 standards are at that grade level? Knowing what a fact is and knowing what an opinion is. That's it. Over the course of three years, work with your kids on that. And then it levels up in third through fifth grade. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's not even something you've got to rewrite your entire curriculum to do. We're probably doing that already. We just need to be more intentional about it. That is that is just so important. I, I like the way that you, you mentioned that. I mean, even in the early stage, the facts, fact first opinion and some of those, um, you know, just basic, basic skills early so that when they do get older and they're getting into more complex topics, they have that that structure to be able to discern what is useful information and, and how to research. What are what are some research tools that uh our students can use that will give them quality uh, content? Oh, I've got a few for you. Um, you know, one thing, it's not a it's not a packaged tool, but one thing I've done in the past with students, um, I, I've got packaged tools too. You'll, you'll hear the gamut from me here. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. One thing I've done with students in the past is I, I give them six news websites. I give them two American liberal leaning sites, two American conservative leaning sites, and then two international news venues. Um, and I asked them to go to one website from each of those three categories and write down just the top six headlines in a box. You know, I've got this matrix of 
the one I chose is this, and here are the six headlines. The second one I chose is this, and here are the six headlines. Once they've done that, I guide them to circle the stories that match. So the ones that all three of them are reporting on in some way. Hopefully you're doing this on, on what's not a slow news day. Um, you know, I, I look forward to slow news, news days again in the future. Um, I was say, when, when was the last slow news day? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you if you held a gun to my head right <laughs> now. But then I asked the kids, once they've done that, once they've got the matching stories, I asked them to pick one of the stories that all three of those outlets reported on and read the story. I give them 15 to 20 minutes to read the story on each site. And then we talk about the nuances between the reporting. And this takes about a class period with the discussion at the end. But every time I've done it with kids, it's been an eye-opener. Um, and it's been worth the pause in class to do. Um, the next thing I would recommend, again, I'm moving from broad into specific tools, is teaching everyone to start Googling a, a, a suspicious story. Uh, my mom once told me, and this is a direct quote uh, from mid-pandemic, Man, at least we're not in North Korea. They've shot or gassed every single person who came down with the coronavirus. And th this sent some red flags up for me, not because I don't believe North Korea is capable of that, but I'm an avid news consumer and I hadn't read anything about that. So I, I probed deeper and asked her where she heard it. And her answer was something along the lines of, well, so-and-so was over at the bar and cleaning stalls yesterday and we were talking and they heard about it on one of those websites that they read often. So I Googled the story. I found some very questionable sites that reported on it as if it were a fact. And then further down the page, I found a Snopes reference. And I noted that I didn't see CNN, I didn't see Fox News, I didn't see BBC, anything else that I would consider a somewhat legitimate news source reporting on it. And please note, I didn't say unbiased. We talked about that already. But these places at least tend to report on the same stories, just from different perspectives. And so I finally clicked on the Snopes link, and the claim sounded reasonable, but hadn't been proven. Uh, so, yeah, not true. I, I had to break the news to my mother that they probably weren't doing that, even though, again, we could all believe that they did. But we also don't have time to Google everything, right? Especially in this day and age. So if they announce on the news tomorrow that President Trump is revealed to be a gray alien from the abduction stories in disguise, let's at least take a second to Google that uh, to see how many reputable news sources are reporting on it before we share that on fake Facebook. It'll save me so much time the next time I talk to my mom on the phone. And now, like, tried and true resources, the News Literacy Project is one I've become aware of in the last year or so. Um, some of their materials used to be behind a paywall, but it doesn't appear that that's the case anymore. Uh, and their primary offering is something called Checkology, and it's amazing. Um, I, I got to see it in action at a conference, and I loved how comprehensive it was. And it's free right now. Uh, and I, I don't see any indication of free for now going away later. Um, and these are lessons tailored to middle school through high school students that you can just assign to your kids. They're sort of self-guided. There are then some practice activities. It's like a poor man's version of iCivics. They've got some fun games, and then they've also got some missions that you can go on where they give you a news story, and you really go down the rabbit hole of tracing that thing to its source to find out what about it is true and what about it is fiction and if it's fake news or not. Uh, so the News Literacy Project is fantastic. And again, with so much of their stuff being free, I would shout from the rooftops, everyone should read it. And then Museum. If you've never heard of Museum, uh, their physical building may have closed, but their web presence is still up. And they've got some great free resources for teachers on teaching about this kind of stuff. 
Uh, it's primarily geared towards the upper grades, but they've got everything you could think of there. Uh, and if you go to museum and click on tools, I think you have to set up an account, but again, it's free. Uh, you can search for lesson plans on media literacy and they've got a ton. Um, it, it was museum that actually got me in the habit of with kids checking the about page of any new website I uncovered to get the gist of whether or not they're legitimate. I hadn't thought of that before. I think I subconsciously did it, but now I'm intentional about it. And if you can't tell who the website is, they're most likely not legitimate. The last place I'd like to plug is um, we've got a social, statewide social studies website, misocialstudies.org. Um, and this is kind of growing into the one-stop place to get the social studies standards and get connected with other programs and resources. And while we don't have the media literacy section there yet, we have launched a resources page. And that's going to have some links and tools uh, under this category soon. Uh, it's important, and we want to develop some ourselves, but in the meantime, some of the other stuff that's out there, like Museum and the News Literacy Project, they're so awesome, we don't we don't really need to. So those are a few from vague to highly specific, um, and all of those are, are free, to, free to do. So there's definitely some work we can do in social studies, and there's definitely tools to help us do that work. This is amazing. I'm going to spend the next little while checking these things out. There's some really good stuff here, Dave. Oh, Checkology is great. I love Checkology. That's a rabbit hole I could spend all day on. <laughs> Steffi, do you have any other resources that uh, you use to find the truth behind the words? <laughs> the truth behind the words. <laughs> I mean, those same, like Checkology has some amazing resources. I would agree with you on that 100%. I just wanted to highlight something Dave said, though. I think it it has to be embedded everywhere. We really struggle in the library. It, it can't be a standalone kind of one-off lesson, right? It has to be part of the, um, the ecosystem of research and the ecosystem of thinking critically and discussion because it, it has to become a habit. Okay, how do I do any kind of fact-finding or research or evaluation it's part of the process. It's not a separate activity. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, it's not just a library thing. It's not just a social studies thing. It's every fact and every bit of information that you get across the curriculum. And I think that, that Dave, I think is something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, but best ways to, to really get things like this integrated, not just siloed. Do you have any thoughts on successful practice that way. I mean, I think getting things everywhere in the standards, but, and maybe also what you said, just highlighting it's things that people are already doing, but being more intentional about making it visible to the students. Like, here's what we're doing and why we're doing it. And like you said, you're already checking the about page, but, but putting that out there and saying, I'm doing this intentionally and here's why. Dave brought out the sticky notebook. I'm a little concerned. <laughs> you no, know, I, I prepare for everything. I, I did one thing once uh, by the seat of my pants, and I, I swore I'd never do it again. But I had mentioned before, uh, you know, pages 54 and 55 of the C3 framework, where you get into that dimension three. And I think anytime you are doing a research project with kids, no matter what class you're in, I mean, these are common core aligned, so, but they're more broken down. Um, they, they were broken down with the social studies teacher in mind, but I think a science teacher could look at something like evaluate the credibility of a source by determining its relevance and intended use. Um, it, it, that transcends social studies. So any, I, I agree with you, Stephanie. I think anytime we're doing research in any class in the hopes that it will translate into 
life after school as well. Getting kids to be a little more suspicious about uh, everything that they come across. And I think that those four standards at each grade band are easy enough to weave in. Uh, I mean, you're already teaching the common core standard that's aligned to it. This is just breaking it down a little further. Um, So I, I recommend looking at those. But I also want to point out, as much as I want everyone to question every news source they come across, I also having nine-year-old daughters who are going to be 10 soon. I I don't want to turn this next generation into someone who automatically suspects everyone is, is lying to them for, uh, you know, for shady purposes, uh, because that, that's not the point of this. It's, It's just to make sure that we're more critical consumers and that's an ongoing conversation that's got to be had in every classroom every time you're confronted with information i mean i'm not saying question your teacher when they roll out uh, pythagorean's theorem in math class but you know who was this pythagorean guy uh and and what does he have to share i can't even pronounce it correctly so you know i, I am currently bringing a straw to a knife fight uh because we're, we're moving down the the math route here but Questioning that information isn't a bad thing and trying to see those perspectives behind uh, what it is that we're learning uh, can only enrich and deepen. And I think you're totally right. And I think it's also important to question the the perspectives that we're not hearing. Yes. Like whose voices have not been shared along the way and why and how do we get those, those stories and perspectives and voices amplified? Yep. Mic drop. That might be a great place to stop, but I did want to give you another uh, opportunity, Dave, to uh, share anything else that you might have on this topic. You know, I, I think I hit the major points that I was hoping to, to hit today. Just to remember uh, what I said at the beginning, it, it's not really, a, here is not a destination. We're always moving through this. We're always going to be moving through this. And as soon as we find ways to grapple with the information onslaught that we're seeing today, it'll start getting sent our way in new and exciting ways that we haven't yet uh, even envisioned. So it's never going to go away. Gosh, that's a really happy note to leave us on, right? Uh, We're doomed. No, Uh, it's just going to continue to grow and morph. And we just have to work on ourselves to be better at recognizing our own biases and, um, and, and making sure that we still leave room for the other side. Because the truth is often in the middle. I do have one more question. I think it's the important one, really. Um, how is Baby Yoda going to fix this? Baby Yoda is not going to hide in his bulletproof carriage for this one as the, the knife fight goes around. Baby Yoda is in full-out swing, doing his his force grapple here. He's working on it, but he can't do it alone. We've got he's He's got to get support of every teacher K-12 uh, out there, uh, uh, working alongside him with the the force strangle there to strangle the the fake news out of existence. <laughs> that was good. Wait, wait, a yes and that that was solid. Well, <laughs> rules of improv. I'm telling you, never say no. All right, uh, tech tool of the week. Tech tool of the week. I actually want to give a plug to another podcast. Um, Should this exist is back. And um, I think it's absolutely fascinating. They're a show that takes a single technology and asks what is its greatest potential and what could possibly go wrong. Um, Some of the recent episodes that they've been doing, um, having robots providing care for elderly people, um, contact tracing, whether we can track COVID-19 without actually tracking people, and then a whole entire episode on the deep fake detective on being able to trust what you see and how 
AI is changing things. And I just think it's absolutely fascinating because they never say, yes, this should exist or no, this shouldn't. They give both sides. And it's, um, it's a cool thing that I think our kids are going to have to be thinking about as these technologies come out. Should they exist? What kind of regulations should be put on them? Um, it's fascinating listen. Dave, do you have anything you had mentioned the C3 framework? Uh, where can they find more social studies information and uh, information on uh, what you guys are doing in that area? Best place to go would be to bookmark and check back regularly, uh, misocialstudies.org. Uh, that's the domain name we registered. You can't even find the standards on MBE's website for some reason. Uh, so this is the place to get the new standards and get connected with PD around it including these topics and a hundred and so more uh, coming up. So misocialstudies.org will always be my plug um, and people should uh, get accustomed to checking there off and we update it regularly. All right. In closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPS Loop. I can't tell who you're pointing at. They're all in different orders. You're pointing at my wall. (laughs) At Brostrom DA. At Steffi Light. At Not Dave Johnson. Actually, I love that handle. I absolutely love that Twitter handle. <laughs> Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Uh, like the podcast, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening and inspiring. I was on a podcast. Have you been on a podcast? No. Well, I have now twice by the same people that asked me back. I'm becoming their Dr. Oz. Like, I don't even know. Like,